0: You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past.
1: (laughs) Let's begin. begin. I'll start with Grand Avenue by the
0: lake. The place was totally different. That's Pandarvis Harshaw, the author of a new memoir called O.G. Told Me. I asked him to close his eyes and just describe what he sees when he thinks about growing up in the East Bay. See, I can go back ten years ago and see
1: like mini what uh, they call pocket bikes, like little moped kind of things. And all the homies had those and they would kinda of mob down from the dubs, meet up and go around the lake riding on these pocket bikes. That same street, go back maybe another ten years, to me being like ten years old over there and I'm like on rollerblades, hanging out by the lake. <laughs> the greatest memory, the greatest image in my head is a festival by the lake. And it's just like, it's people, it's just jam-packed, it's thick. <laughs> the events really spoke to it. There was something we had at Mosswood called Karajama, um, which I believe was on Labor Day. The 4th of July down in Jacqueline Square, we fireworks, gatherings. I mean, everything, every event that you would go to in Oakland It'd be live, it'd be culture, it'd be good. When sunset hit, get out of there. You know, like, you just know stuff would turn bad. People would start fighting, you know, gunshots, things like that. Pretty much every event. It was just like, known. you know, you just operate it. Like, you you dealt with it, you know? And like, I remember being a teenager and my friends started, like, really getting into guns and banging and all that stuff. And I just, it, it benefited me knowing who was who. Um, as opposed to just being like, oh, I, I don't want anything to do with it. I know I need to live out here, and if I need to live out here, then I need to have understanding
0: so that I'm not living in fear. Lots of Pendarvis's stories are like this. They'll start with something fun and happy, then reality hits. For a dude who's only 30, he's seen a ton. His jobs have ranged from working in a taco truck to selling weed to journalism to teaching high school. His current gig is with a nonprofit called PolicyLink, and he recently became a dad. OG Told Me isn't just a book. It's kind of a survival guide, packed full of advice that he's gathered from interviewing black elders. It's definitely found an audience. Penn's been selling copies of it out of his backpack all over Oakland, and he's already had to order another print run. I asked about the response.
1: A lot of people have been surprised because they didn't know it would be more of a autobiography. They didn't know it would be a memoir. But I figured I'd, I should tell my story as much as I'm going out and documenting other people's story and frame my story in a way that shows you why I went out and did this OG told me project. Letting people know this process that I of, of maturation where I'm running out in the streets with my friends, hanging out, doing some dumb stuff. Some old guys like, yo, stop doing dumb stuff. <laughs> um, and that's, that's pretty much... Uh, the, the response that I've been getting, you know, you know, nothing bad, you know, people asking for more, you know, wanting
0: it to be a bigger book or when's the second edition. On today's episode, a trip through the East Bay with Pendarvis Harshaw. We're gonna talk about how he collected the wisdom that went into this book and take a trip back in time from backyard parties in West Oakland to sideshows in the deep East. And we're gonna hit graffiti yards and a possibly haunted building downtown And we're even going to dip out to the suburbs for a minute. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. I'm your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Stay tuned.
1: OG told me, let's see, break it back. All the way back to high school. I used to write raps in my notebooks. And uh, every once in a while, I'll be on the back of the bus and some OG would be like, blah, 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 blah. love your mother, blah, 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 And I'm like, all right, note to self, love my mother. And, you know, just scribble that in my notebook and write a rap about how some older guy told me I should love my mother, you know what I'm saying? So that that is where the seed was planted. And I called them like my OG-isms, you know, like witticisms. And then uh, from there, I'm learning about religion and beliefs and I was like, okay, maybe I'm OGistic. I believe in the elders around
0: me, I, you know? Pandarvis started seeking out advice from older black men even before he started writing it down. He grew up under a single mom, and to put an East Bay spin on an old expression, it takes a town to raise a child. Not having my
1: father in the household definitely influenced me to seek wisdom from other elders in the community. Yeah, definitely to, to look at black men as examples of like, oh, okay, that's how black men shake hands, tie ties. That's how a black man cleans his car. You know, basic things. And not only not having my father in the household, but also my circle of friends, literally eight or nine of us, None of us had our fathers in the house. And so all of us are kind of uh, looking at older older black guys and being like, okay, I, and I can see myself in them. And it can be like, I used to do the Tim Hardaway crossover on the streets because, like, my dad wasn't there to teach me how to do a crossover, so I'd watch Warriors games. Tim Hardaway had the killer crossover. Everybody was fascinated by it. Cool, I need to learn that. Through that circle of friends that I had, all of us subliminally or, or intentionally reaching out to elders and getting these, like... Concepts of manhood, we brought it all back together, and um, I learned from my friends. And he'd be like, oh yeah, my, my uncle told me this, or oh yeah, OG down the block told me this, or oh yeah, this guy I go to church with showed me how to do this. That's how we not only learned manhood, but also learned how to just navigate the neighborhood as human beings. You know, it's
0: not even just about black man knowledge. It's also about just human knowledge. Before the book came out, OG Told Me was an online collection of photo essays. Pendarvis interviewed more than 50 men for the project. He told me that he was looking for sort of philosophical nuggets that would be easy to remember and share. There's one question he asks in every interview. If you had the
1: ear of the youth and you could give them any wisdom based on your life's experiences, what would you tell them? And um, gotten responses clear across the board, man. Some of the witty stuff, some of the deep profound stuff it's crazy when you go to people in the street and it's like you turn over a rock and you have no idea what's under that rock I'm not calling old guys rock or nothing like that it was just an example but um <laughs> like you it's an open door rather maybe that's a better metaphor <laughs> like let's open a door into somebody's life and like there's this is dude Tracy with a pink hat in downtown Oakland he's like fly I see him all the time down by the Shushan spot I go up to him, man, nice outfit, bro. You know what I'm saying? Just start chopping it up with him. Then eventually, I ask him that question, I'm like, man, what would you tell him? He's like, man, find your family or something to that extent. And he tells me about how he came up here from the South to find his family. I'm like, dang, that just totally opened that door. And, uh, and it, it is relatable for me, who I had to go to the South to find my family.
0: So, yeah, that's OG told me in a nutshell. In one of the last chapters of the book, Pandarvis goes to Alabama to visit his dad in prison. It's the only chapter where he disagrees with an OG's words of wisdom. His dad tells him that, quote, prison only exists in the mind. Pandarvis says no. Prison also exists in the heart.
1: As we scoped the ladies, police sirens sounded. People split in all directions. I lost the girl I was eye-fucking. The homies ran back to the car, and I was no more than a stride behind them. We got in, threw on our seatbelts, and Trey tried to pull off. It was too late. As soon as the music started to play, we heard a siren sound off. Two black and white Chevy Caprices were on the side of us, keeping our car pinned to the curb near 88th and MacArthur. Two big white guys with shiny OPD badges cited us for sideshow activities, which meant that Trey's car was about to get towed. Oakland police not only take the joy out of the ride, they take the ride too. The next day, I caught the bus to the scene of the crime. Tire marks in the form of figure eight served as metaphorical chalk outlines to where our night died. I paid homage to Trey's car by picking up an ashtray that the cops threw in the gutter when they found our
0: half-smoked blunt. Ashes fell and I put it back down and walked away. That story is from the chapter called Sideshows and Bros. For those of you unfamiliar, sideshows are basically rolling street parties where folks get together and do donuts. When the hyphy movement was at its peak, Oakland sideshows were massive. Sideshows, like, at 18, 19, 20,
1: before you're 21, before you can go to the club, and after you're old enough to drive, that era in there, we had this DVD DVD, Called Go Dumb USA, it it really broke down the elements of the sideshow. You know, you had the, the girls, you had the cars, you had uh, something called town taxes, where people who tried to like civilians who tried to drive through the sideshow and not participate get their car stomped out.
0: <laughs> ghost riding.
1: Ghost riding, yeah, exactly. Ghost riding figure eights, uh, burning out um, sound systems. That's a large part of it. Yeah, the dangers of sideshows: people getting hit by cars, um, people high-speeding away from the cops. Yeah, side shows were were a trip growing up, man. Like, all the thrill that you could want as a teenager, so much danger. So who has a gun? Who's on drugs? You know, like, girls fighting, like, a, a titty popping out or something like that. Like,
0: it, all that happened and you're a teenager and it's like, this is the greatest thing ever. Well, maybe the greatest thing ever until the cops show up. As the sideshow chapter ends with his buddy's car impounded, Pandarvis finds himself at a youth center event getting lectured to by an older guy about how partying may be fun, but it's not doing much for the community. It gets Pandarvis to thinking about ways to have fun and build community at the same time. He ponders on that when he's taking the bus home. This part is from a chapter called Be Cool. We sat at the Manzanita Center on the top of the hill of East
1: 28th Street. It was a recreation center that doubled as a weed spot. As the sun set over the hood, the usual suspects emerged. Will, Cell, T-Bird, Raj, Big Mal, D, Eli, Mark, Rick, Hen, Wayne, and Rob. We crept to the customary convening spot, the benches. On the side of the center were a couple of Oakland Parks and Recreation Department-issued picnic tables, where all the homies tagged their turf. Modern-day hieroglyphics. Tagging my turf was my first public display of artistic vision, and defacing property was one of my first crimes. Nonetheless, with the sharpie in my hand, I held down my turf wherever I could tag. Well, first of all, graffiti is fire. You know, it can warm you, it can burn you. It can cook your meal, it can incinerate you. But those small scribbles are somebody trying to learn their craft. Uh, somebody breaking out of their shell and getting over their their self-doubts.
0: So, you know what? I'm going to leave my mark on this wall. The lesson Pendarvis learns in this chapter is about not claiming turf that's not yours. Basically, don't front. Pendarvis never evolved from a tagger into a full-blown graffiti writer or a muralist, but he did end up making a short documentary about another legendary East Bay writer named Mike Dream, R.I.P., one of the things that Pendarvis does really well in both the book and in this film is to be a sort of cultural ambassador. He travels in a lot of different worlds and he builds bridges between cultures and generations by explaining things that are usually lost in translation or dismissed altogether. I asked him how he thinks people should respond to the graffiti that blankets so many buildings and walls in Oakland. I think that's a a documentary. That's
1: that's a human trying to live their purpose and say, I was here, I did this, even if it's just them tracing their hand or something, you know, uh, very simple. And to see the growth from somebody doing those small scribbles or hand trace to grow to somebody who's a muralist and can write lettering with a spray can, lettering better than I could with a pen, is incredible. And so I don't think that everybody should just, like fond over like, oh look, they're in their process and this is, this is art, this scribble is amazing, this is modern art, but uh, having understanding of it, I think helps um, and also respecting it um, because it is an art form, it is like jazz, it is uh,
0: philosophy. If you're skeptical of that analogy, just remember that people called Ornat Coleman's music trash too when he first came out. Now, he's considered a genius. And another thing, Basquiat started by tagging walls too. Last month at an auction, one of his paintings sold for $110 million. It's now the most expensive work done by an American painter ever. You know, I was around
1: when they changed East 14th to International and learning about why and, you know, like trying to change the spirit of the street. But still, there are young women out there. And I remember being in middle school and seeing a girl that I knew from school, seeing her on the
0: streets. I'm like, oh, dang, already? This is crazy. When he was about 14, Pandarvis got a major culture shock. He went from going to junior high in a place where one of his classmates was being pimped on one of the most notorious tracks in the country, East 14th. To a private school where the tuition is now about forty thousand dollars a year, he got a scholarship. The Athenian School was kind of like a, it's like a rip rich, rich hippie school. I found this on Wikipedia. The school's colors are described as terracotta and earth. It's out in Danville, which is at the
1: foot of Mount Diablo, um, a stone's throw from um, Black Hawk, Black Hawk where E40 stays and other very wealthy people who are not rappers. Yeah. Um, nope. yeah. 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 When I got out there, I just felt like I was so much older than all the other kids in my class because i had already been exposed to the things that they were going to be exposed to in their junior year, maybe senior year. And I come in freshman year and I'm like, man, I know
0: about this, you know, I, I know how to roll a blunt, what are you talking about? Like, I, you know I, I know, I know about life. Pendarvis knew a lot about life in Oakland, but Athenian opened up his eyes to a whole different world. Being out there, seeing that
1: wealth, put a lot in perspective for me. Like the suburbs isn't Lakeshore Avenue. The suburbs is way out there, and that's where real money is. And going to school with people who have like garages bigger than the house that I was staying in, or going to school with people who complained about their parents being gone for a week because they're on business, and me coming home to my mom not having a job, or to my mom sitting there working hella hard and the lights still being cut off or the hot water being cut off. It definitely put in into perspective. Um, one of the things that I walked away from that school thinking was that you can't compare struggles. What somebody knows is like the worst pain in their life might be your normal pain, but you know, you can't compare those things. You know, that's, that's different for each person.
0: Fast forwarding a few years, after taking some classes at Laney, Pandarus moved out to DC for college. Then he came back. I actually left college defeated. I was one class short of graduating from
1: Howard. So that was a, a real low point, winter 2010, coming back to Oakland without my degree and um, being back on mom's
0: couch. And I, I felt like I just needed to kind of uh, recalibrate my focus. Through a mentor, Pendarvis got hooked up with two gigs. One was teaching at Oakland Tech. The other didn't really pay money, but it gave him a place to stay.
1: I not only got on teaching, but I also became a janitor at this building on 13th and Webster in the heart of downtown Oakland. And that's uh, where the story begins. 13th and Webster, like a little cubby hole of a room. I swear that building is haunted. Um, they got this old rickety elevator that has the handle that makes you the like the lever to go upstairs and downstairs. Seven floors, on the seventh floor, there's this guy named Carter who has the whole top floor to himself. Um, and he was kind of the, the OG of the building. Um, so we called it the Carter. Um, <laughs> um, so that building is where I, I learned the beauty of, of being a, a janitor. It gives, it's very fulfilling to do work where you see the results of your work. Like, you see a dirty toilet, you clean it, and then people appreciate you for doing your work. And In journalism, sometimes you don't see who you impact, but cleaning toilets, that's when I see the results. So, yeah, so coming back to Oakland and um, what motivated me, it really helped when I got here that the community uh, like
0: rallied around me. Pendarvis officially launched the OG Told Me Project, while he was teaching an African-American male achievement class at Oakland Tech. His goal was to create something that his students would actually care about and take the time to connect with.
1: 20 young men, all of them, uh, energy and smartphones. Um, and I tried to find a way to corral that energy in the smartphones by putting this content on Tumblr, where they were, Tumblr was hot at the time. Um, they were already on that website. I'm saying, all right, check out my page. And they look to
0: that page and they see people that they knew from the neighborhood, you know? Penn isn't a full time teacher anymore, but he still speaks to classes around Oakland. His book exposes a really vulnerable side of himself. I was curious about what motivates him to put himself out there like that, sharing such raw personal stories. There's
1: an elder I, I, I talk to quite often, and he often uh, Brings up his wins, you know, the, the the things that he did in life. Oh yeah, I was the high school quarterback. Oh yeah, I used to run a radio station. You know, and I'm like, what? Well, tell me about your losses. Uh, let me learn from your lessons. You know, and so I wanted to document my losses, um, so that my students who see me as this like clean cut guy, I show up to work on time, I talk about philosophy. I wasn't always that dude. I'm maybe buried in there, but uh, that wasn't who I was on the exterior. Um, and so to show them that they can mutate, as I was talking about with my daughter earlier, to show them that they can change and grow, you have to be vulnerable, you have to tell your story, you have to tell your losses, and you have to appreciate where you are. Arnold Perkins' quote is that, uh, how does a chicken get out of an egg uh, with persistence, consistent uh, pecking? Uh, Sometimes it pecks slow, sometimes it pecks fast, but it doesn't stop because it knows it needs to get out of that egg to survive. That quote, I think, is the epitome of OG told me as a project for me.
0: In your mind, what was your eggshell? Like, what were you trying to break through? Self-doubt.
1: Self-doubt was my eggshell, by far. Um, As an artist, I know a lot of artists, no matter what background you come from, you have self-doubts. But beyond that self-doubt as being an artist, being a a black man, and I'm talking about writing a book, and who's going to read my book? Are they going to respect my book? And I'm talking about the philosophy behind these black men. Um, And so that added to the
0: self-doubt, like, is there a market for that? Like, are people going to receive that? So far, the answer has been, hell yeah. The books are selling like hotcakes, and Penn's been doing events all over town. Remember how the community rallied around him? When he came back to Oakland at a low point, now he's paying it back. One of the ways is simply helping to create space for folks to come together. Here's what I mean. All right, this party series that I've been throwing uh, with my friends since uh,
1: 2014, um, regulars only, it brewed out of that that need for a space, a gathering space, uh, as prices are through the roof in downtown Oakland, to have a good time is $40. Um, we wanted a space where people could kick it, socialize, eat for $5. And so we've joined four backyards in the back of West Oakland on a street, Apgar, which is um, it was known as a drug street for a long time. Um, and so with that neighborhood being gentrified, um, my roommate, his family has owned that building since the 1960s. And so we've put in work to renovate that building and also renovate the neighborhood. And as people move in, introducing them to the culture and the history of that street. And so it's a real microcosm of how things could work in Oakland if we so choose to. Knowing the change is it's bound to happen, but uh, I guess you'd say shaping that change is how we're doing that. And it's fascinating to put people in the backyard, say somebody who I went to elementary school with, somebody who I know from playing basketball.
0: Thanks for listening to East Bay Yesterday, I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Stay tuned after the credits for a little East Bay vocab lesson. For this episode, I want to thank Penn Darvis and the regulars only crew, the Oakland Book Festival, which hosted a really cool panel where I got to hear Penn share some thoughts on the importance of knowing your history, and Oaklandish, which hosted the OG Told Me Book release party. Also, KALW-FM and Berkeley Liberation Radio, both of which have been giving some love to East Bay Yesterday on their airwaves lately. And speaking of which, it might be a little bit longer than usual before the next episode comes out, because I've got to spend some time trying to figure out how to make the show sustainable. If you know any foundations or grant programs that might be a good fit for East Bay Yesterday, please hit me up. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can also follow East Bay Yesterday on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I post photos related to each and every episode, as well as upcoming events and other cool local history news. There are links to all those social media pages at eastbayyesterday.com. If you like the show, please spread the word. And if you give East Bay Yesterday a shout out on social media, please be sure to tag it. And review it on iTunes, too. That really helps. Music for this episode was provided by Ornette Coleman, E40, Hieroglyphics, JP Bangs, TTK, Invisible Sound, and Keek to Sneak. The theme song music came from Anatech. And here's a little conversation me and Penn had about hyphy-era slang. It didn't really fit in the show, but I just love talking about local lingo. So here you go. Yeah, did I mean was was one of the words that, in my late
1: teens, was, yeah, that was the staple. Like, at the end of a sentence the end of a statement, like, you gotta ask, like, yadda yeah, I mean, You know what I'm talking about? And, yeah, I guess it kind of dwindled away. Um, you Feel Me has always been around. Yeah, open vocabulary, slang, it's interesting, especially going to other places. And I'll say certain words, and they'll say, "Oh, I know you from Oakland." I'm like, "What? I I thought that was a normal word. What do you mean? Or accent, having an accent? I'm like, I don't have an accent. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, when I went to college, everybody like, where, "Where's the party at, Buster?" I'm like, "Okay, guys. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I see where you're going with this." Um, but it also um, makes me appreciate home and this 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 village that that I I call home. Um,
0: yeah what I I don't put that on that's my word